All right. So I think the first two regular episodes of Deep Space Nine that we did all the way back in uh, 1972 okay. were pretty intricate character studies. And these two episodes are techno babble time travel plots. Yeah. The very, the exact same plot in both episodes, uh, essentially. Fa- fairly accurate, yes. Uh, I think that this is fairly representative of Voyager as a television show. So. How are you feeling about this? You know, I enjoyed myself in these two episodes because so far, I think they don't quite care what the plot is. I, I, I think there was enough character stuff going around that even though the explanation of what happens doesn't really matter. For example, in the first, in Parallax, it doesn't exactly matter what what's causing it or how to fix it. What matters is that we have uh, Balana and Janeway working together in order to understand the problem and solve it uh that we have paris and janeway who are dealing with this weird situation and you know that kes has some kind of connect you know that's what's more important than the actual uh anomaly that they're dealing with or whatever Um, which yeah which i would agree with and i i I think that again one of the things that that's so one of the things that i try to do with this show is is you know you know obviously talk about your reactions to it because you are not new to Star Trek at this point. Yeah. You've been doing this for almost five years, but this is a new television show to you. I haven't and seen you, an episode of Voyager, yeah. Right. And, well, you've seen three at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but also, there is a general sort of fan or critical cons- consensus around each of the television shows and what they're good at and what they're not good at. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, in our in our run-up to Voyager, kind of the last episodes that we did about Deep Space Nine, there was a lot of stuff on Twitter and, and, and Facebook comments and things like that about, oh, God, you guys are getting to Voyager. And, it's <laughs> la- you know, you're finishing up the good Star Trek, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I want to go on the record as saying that that I, I don't I don't like those kind of comments because I think that whether or not Star Trek Voyager is on the whole a better show or a worse show than Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek the original series, and Star Trek The Next Generation, and hey, let's throw animated series in there, why not? I don't think is 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 relevant because at this point, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you should be getting something out of these shows anyway. And I, I think that Parallax to me is it's certainly not a revelatory episode of television, but it's it's solid and I like it a lot better than Time and Again. I also feel as though it 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 belies the the criticism that Brian and Braga is not interested in doing character work. Mm, yeah. I I mean, I, this is in some ways a more workmanlike show. It's kind of doing a lot of the same things that Next Generation did. I can see, I can frankly see episodes where they will be interested in the techno babble that will be absolutely obnoxious. Again, if they actually cared about the mechanics of the time travel in these episodes, they would be terrible. Uh, and the reason I liked both these episodes is because they don't really care. It's just a device. Don't worry about it too much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 for Parallax to me is is kind of an interesting episode because you're right. Like they they don't care about the the techno babble plot. They yeah. don't care about what exactly is going on with this singularity. They don't really care about why there are two voyagers. I I, I agree with all of that. I think that what is what is going to be interesting to talk about is the ways in which this is a different kind of show than than the next generation of deep space nine because i look at an episode like parallax and i say okay here's the second episode of this brand new television series Mm -hmm. you know this is the 
fifth Star Trek series if you count the animated series. And and we did it, so we'll count it. Uh, and, and if you look at the ways in which The Next Generation got all of its critical acclaim, it came about by combining together the sort of technical sci-fi plots with character stuff. And I think that sometimes that worked and sometimes it yeah. didn't work. Whereas Deep Space Nine very rarely told science fiction stories or told science fiction yeah. stories in a very sort of classical way that had a lot less to do with technology than uh, than, than the next generation. And this, it, yeah, it uses it's it's used its science fiction in order to tell broader themes about you know life during wartime and you know things like that about keeping morality in the face of evil those kind of stories yeah and i i think that at least in in parallax and time and again you know and again i I said last week that um star trek voyager is about four different shows so if you don't like one version of it wait wait a couple seasons but i i kind of see what 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 it is here is that the next the original series was very focused on uh, uh, the plot and focused on the mechanics of the plot and what was happening and sort of all of that kind of stuff. And Rot really focused too much on character work. I mean, certainly to some degree it was, but not to the degree that the next generation or Deep Space Nine were. Yeah. And what I see with Voyager is kind of, interestingly enough, kind of a, a, a half step between the next generation and the original yeah. series. This is a this is a show with a lot of TNG character work that is trying to tell a more action-adventure-oriented story in both of these episodes. I think it works better in Parallax than Time and Again, but I think that's the approach they're going for. Yeah. Um, A few things that are jumping out at me is that these episodes begin, this series is essentially beginning where the next generation ended, right? Uh, The point of all good things is Picard dealing with this mystery that Q has set up with Essentially, he's able to understand effects preceding cause, right? That's the big mystery that Q is delighted that, you know, proves that the human race is worth it Mm -hmm. at the end of. uh, That is the thing that Picard spent seven years training and being ready for. That's the second episode. That's a problem that they solve. That's already there. They're already there. And I think that's pretty significant that, you know, just as Next Generation began with, all right, we're going past far point we're going deeper into the galaxy than we have and we're about to hit bigger challenges the borg you know things like that um again that that's where voyager is going even further than that not only are we going past where people usually go we're going where nobody from the federation literally has gone before and something like you know effect preceding cause in a weird time loop of causality that's basic stuff for these people that's how much further they're going in this. I don't know how well the series is going to pick up with that theme or not, but... Well, we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right to some degree. I mean, certainly you, you can't look at, at Star Trek Voyager in a vacuum. You can't look at outside of context. And, you know, one of the things that I always think about is the fact that, that Voyager and Deep Space Nine, you know, ran concurrently for, yeah. for four and a half years, something like that. So... Voyager was able to become a very different show, I think, primarily because Deep Space Nine was doing a lot of the sort of thematic and character heavy lifting. I think that Vo- I can see Voyager being the I'm just going to watch an episode of Voyager kind of thing, just as you can watch an episode of TOS or watch an episode of TNG. You can't really wa- you can't as much watch an episode of DS9. And so, yeah, that's the more. Certainly DS9 is going to take the more cerebral route, the more character-based, the more long story arcs. And this is just going to be more of a 
I think Voyager is going to be more of the snack show. Yeah. But I think it could be very well done snacks. It's got a certainly a good enough pedigree and yeah, it's like those uh, those garlic pretzel Ooh. crisps. Those are really good. That's oh, what Voyager br- is. Brownie brittle. Those are good too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I th- I think that's right. And and you know. Parallax to me, I mean, we'll kind of transition this kind of broad-reaching conversation yeah. as we're talking about the episodes, but I, I like Parallax quite a bit. I think that it, it really does showcase sort of the, the best of Brian and Braga in a sense. Yeah. Because, you know, again, he's a, he's a, he is someone, he is a writer that, that does have criticism out there of him, which is that he was not character-focused. He was not interested in character work. He was not interested in defining yeah. characters and writing for them and having the sort of dramatic tension that... Uh, uh, is kind of integral to, to, to drama, really. And one of the other things that the Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore and all the all the staff writers on the Next Generation they always did really chafe against that Roddenberry box, mm-hmm. where you know none of the characters on the Next Generation could argue with each other, could could disagree. Yeah. There could be no friction. And here we have Star Trek Voyager. Here we have the second episode of the show Parallax, where we have the the opening of the yeah. episode is hey. Somebody got punched in the face. And then you have, you know, Tuvok who's saying, we need to put her in the brig for the next 75. And Chakotay has it. I I find him interesting in this episode because I think he's trying to make everybody happy somehow. He's, 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 all the characters are going to have different challenges I'm seeing. And his challenge will be having to make that hard decision that is going to make people upset or, you know, I can't please everybody, but what's, you know, what's the right decision? He's hoping that he can just smooth this over and that, you know, the captain doesn't even need to know about this, which what we are learning about Janeway, I don't think she's the kind of be the kind of captain who lets things just happen without her notice. That's very true. And, and you know, we're already seeing that Janeway is a much more hands-on captain yeah. than Picard is, at least. Jane- and the other, I mean, the other thing of that before before you go into your point is that you know we have to keep in mind that that Voyager is is a, just a much smaller ship yeah. than the Enterprise ever was. Yeah. I mean, the Enterprise was the flagship; it was over a thousand crew members, it had families on board. You know, Voyager is a much smaller ship. I think it might have like a little over a hundred crew they members, men- no families. They mentioned a hundred and about hundred forty before the warp when several members are killed. So there's probably about. 120 people at most on the ship right now. Right. And, you know, it is something that they don't define and, and they never really do. I mm-hmm. think probably to their credit that you don't really want to get into a situation where you have a, a, an exact number of crew yeah. members. They, you know, they don't want to do that. But it is the case where we don't really know how many people are on the ship. Yeah. We, we also, I think, uh, uh, interestingly enough, don't know how many Maquis are, are on the ship. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me that there could be too many of them because the ship that got uh, uh, destroyed didn't seem Even that smaller. large. But, you know, let's say there's 20 Maquis on the ship. Uh, it's not inconceivable that, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's it's kind of striking and unrealistic to have a scene where we have two Maquis crew members going up to their their old captain, now, um, now first officer on a Starfleet ship, and saying, hey, we're ready if you want to take the ship. Yeah. You know, because are they really going to be able to? But... If they have the element of surprise, maybe they could. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and again, going to Chakotay's personality, he's not going to do that because I, I don't think he likes conflict. Or at least he doesn't like... Yeah, he... he I, 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 I was not surprised when he basically told them, you don't know, no, what are you doing, you know? When he's very clear that, you know, mutinying is not what he wants to do. He has 
agreed to be the first officer to Janeway. You know, he's on a Starfleet vessel. They are going to go by Starfleet, and and that's the decision. That's, again, his choice to make everybody the happiest. Well, that's kind of really what it comes down to, I think, is that at the end of Caretaker, they they do... You know, I'm not arguing that Voyager is a perfect show. I'm certainly not arguing that Voyager is not hedging its bets a little bit. Yeah. And I think setting up this this Maquis versus Starfleet thing in the pilot and then having them all decide to be Starfleet at the end and put into Starfleet uniforms is a little bit of a cop-out. And I'm not arguing that it's not. But, I mean, you know, Michael Pillar did not want that to happen. Yeah. That was something that Rick Berman and Paramount said, no, we have to have them all in Starfleet uniforms at the end of the pilot. You know, was that a good choice or not? I don't know. But I think a lot of the business with Torres in this episode, for example, is suggesting that the difference between wearing a Starfleet uniform and actually being Starfleet and also between being extraordinarily capable and being Starfleet. Because I in this episode, nobody questions Bolana's credentials as far as being an engineer, right? No, she very quickly demonstrates her knowledge of the systems. You know, that that's that's unquestioned what Jane when she's talking to Janeway and Janeway saying you know I'm not sure if you're chief engineer material what she's talking about is discipline and the ability to lead which are things that Torres as somebody who is very has a very strong temper and doesn't really like discipline and washed out of the academy not because she couldn't handle the work but because she didn't like to be regimented in that way um that's what's you know. That's what may be holding her back. And yeah. in this episode, she is learning that, in a way, the Maki people have to grow into the uniform, whether or not it's the track that they wanted to be in or not. Yeah, because I think that one of the key things here, and to go back to Chakotay for a minute, is that you know Chakotay was the captain of the of the Maki vessel. Yeah. He was the one who made the decision. And so, if you go by the idea that both the Maquis and Starfleet have chains of command in which they just yeah. they go with it unless they're blatantly illegal or immoral orders. And so Chakotay making those, you know, that, that kind of, I think, reframes his comment at the end of Caretaker where, you know, Janeway decides to blow up the array and there's like, who is she to make this decision for us? And he says, well, she's the captain. Yeah. And, you know, seeing it in light of, of Parallax that takes on new relevance or, or sort of a new meaning for me because he's not just saying that because he believes that but he's also saying that because he has to believe that because yeah. he is the one who went to the maquis crew members and said hey i'm in charge here and here's what we're going to do and he needed them to listen to him and if they don't listen to him things are going to get very bad and so it's that idea about you know leadership qualities being a little bit of an exercise in faith as well yeah, the I mean, I mean, even at the end of the episode, he's talking to Janeway and he says, well, you know, would you how would you be if this we were on my ship? You know, if you know, my ship didn't survive, we happened to, you know, be on that. And so we're doing by Starfleet rules. If the Maquis ship was the one that survived and you were on here, how would you, you know, would you be my first officer? Would you? And she doesn't really answer. Right? She doesn't. Yeah. answer. It. I mean, she, she she flat out. Says, she says, I don't need to. I'm the captain. Right. She's like, that's one of those things that I'm not going to answer because I'm yeah. the captain. And but at the same time, it is obviously it is her ship. She is the captain. If if you're even going by if her type, if Chakotay seems to believe that she's earned her title and that her title does require does give her certain authorities again just by virtue of them being on her ship that that's how it goes what she says is the way that 
they have to live. And yeah, I think that's right. And I, I, I do think that if you look at it from the point of view of Chakotay being someone who, because let's not forget, I mean, the Maquis were Federation citizens. Yeah. They were certainly some of them, like Tom Paris and Bellana, seemed to be very, very capable people yeah. that just weren't able to to fit into Federation society in, in, in a certain way. They're, they're kind of the yeah. square pegs and round holes. And so they went out into the colonies and then all this terrible stuff happened with the Cardassians. But they do still have those federation upbringing they do still have that federation culture ingrained in them and so and there is also possibly the implication that if they had just enlisted like o'brien did for example things might have been different Bilan has explicitly said she didn't do well in the academy you know college isn't for everybody's starfleet right. academy is an extraordinarily intense thing she might not i mean obviously at the end of the episode she is becoming chief engineer and she will grow into that role as we go on i assume but but I think that that's really what it, I think you're right. But I think that's what it really comes down to for me is the, the the fundamental reality of the situation that everyone finds themselves in is that they are stranded yeah. seventy thousand light years away from the Federation. It's going to take them seventy five years to get back. You know, best case scenario, uh, uh, maybe some of them will will be alive when they <laughs> get there, but yeah. most of them won't be. And they are on a Starfleet ship. They're on a Starfleet yeah. ship. They're outnumbered by Starfleet personnel. And I think that that what this episode to me makes clear is that the the rank and file Maquis. I mean, that scene where the two Maquis crew yeah. members come up to Chakotay in the hall again and say, "Hey, we're ready to take the ship." If you know, and he's like, "I don't want to hear that talk ever yeah. again," because to Chakotay, he realizes the fundamental, uh, you know. Uh, 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 he realizes how how precarious this situation is, and the Maquis crew members really don't. Yeah, and it's not to say that they're not intelligent. It's not to say that they're not um, paying attention to what's going on around them, but they just fundamentally are not in a position of authority, and so they don't have all of the information. And I think that's why Chakotay gets so frustrated with Janeway in that scene in her ready room as well, where. He is saying, look, I am trying to make this yeah. work. You are not making this easy for me. And Janeway, I think, is being a little... I mean, I'll be curious to to get kind of your... Some, we haven't really talked about Janeway yet. I'll be curious to get <laughs> some of your opinions about what you've seen of her so far because she is very prominent in these two episodes. But, you know, to me, that scene with, with Chakotay and Janeway in a ready room makes Janeway come across extremely rigidly. She is not a, a, a flexible captain at all. And doesn't understand the gravity of the situation that they find themselves in in terms of the crew dynamics. Well, part of it is also because in that scene, he has just tried to undermine her authority. And I think she is reasserting that. Again, she is the captain. She does have the ultimate authority. Uh, that is the scene where they're dealing with something and he calls on Taurus to solve the problem. And even though, you know, obviously she does, you know, come come up with a good solution, but... It, it is kind of it, – it, it's an undermining in the way that he does it. She takes him to the ready moon room to dress him down because, well, don't do that that way again. You know, I am, I'm the captain. You're just my first officer. And he's seeing it as um, – I, I think that's when he says, am I your token ma- maquis? You know, you need to – if you're really integrating the maquis into your crew, then some of them need to have officers just – officer positions just to – Show, just to show that they really are part of the crew. Yeah. Like it's not just me and that's placating everybody. And again, I, I think that's right. And I, I, I think the other part of that as well, of course, is that, you know, key key to the way that this episode works and, and the I think it does work is is that you can really see both sides of that argument. You, know, yeah. you can see Janeway saying, well, look, 
they're not qualified. They did not go through the academy. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if these people can lead. I have no idea if Bellana can lead. Um, yeah, she, there's a she certain punched, she yeah. punched someone in the face and broke his nose. And and you know, going to she called on Lieutenant Carey and asked him that question about how they get out of this situation. And then Chakotay calls Bellana Torres, and it's like they're you know this is not a competition. You know, yeah. this is not this is not American Idol. Um, they don't get to they don't get to uh, uh, Starfleet doesn't work by pitting crew yeah. members against each other in some sort of competition. Janeway's looking at that and saying, I told Lieutenant Carey, who's the ranking officer in engineering, yeah. that what we needed to do, he will decide yeah. who, who is going to help him do this. You don't get to go to his other, you know, uh, someone else in engineering and ask them to do exactly the same thing. That's it, not how this works. It's one. It would be one thing for Chakotay to say, you know, Bellana Torres is really good in these kind of situations. You know, does she have a suggestion? Uh, he he's he's almost he he's almost trying to make it as she's going to get the suggestion and it's going to be great and we're going to immediately do that and and again that's not how it works there is the respect for the chain of command in there yeah because i think the other you're right and i think the other half of that of course is that i think chicote is right in that yeah. janeway is perhaps having a blind spot in, in the maquis crew members and and chicote does have to uh, advocate yeah. for them a and little I, bit. And, and to her credit, Janeway spends the episode open-minded, at least. And I, I think she's very—I like how candid she is. She doesn't really beat around the bush when she's talking to Bellata about, well, this is why— No, she specifically says, again, you're, you might be a great engineer. I don't know if you have the discipline or the leadership, and that's what really, really needed an engineer. But, you know, all right, we're in this really weird situation, and— it is almost kind of a test to see if Bellana can rise to the occasion. It is. And I think that, you know, Bellana and Janeway together at the end yeah. of the episode when they get into the shuttle, you know, that's, of course, when Janeway realizes that, okay, Bellana can do this. Yeah. And also, I think Bellana is realizing the situation she's in. You know, she is a very different person in that scene early on in the episode with um, Jacote, where he's basically dressing her down and saying, you're not yeah. making this easy for me, <laughs> Torres, you know. And and then later on in the episode, she's in the observation lounge or the the meeting room, whatever yeah. you want to call it, and trying her hardest to be diplomatic and come across as a reasonable person. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the episode, of course, she is the chief engineer. Yeah. And see, I, I guess this is a maybe a good time to start talking about my larger views on Janeway. Is that in many ways, Janeway is the older, more experienced, more mature version of some of these characters. I mean, it's very obvious in the scene when she and Bellana are talking about this and finishing each other's sentences and totally geeking out. And when they're in this shuttle, like, Bellana is a younger Janeway in a lot of ways. Maybe a little more hot-headed than Janeway was. And Janeway is kind of showing her, like, no, you can still be as passionate and as you know, smart about this, but here's a way, you know, you need to have this certain discipline. Um, in the next episode with Tom Paris, for example, um, Tom is somebody who has had a couple of very bad breaks. And so he feels very insecure, which is where a lot of his cockiness comes from. Janeway is a more confident version of that. And she's kind of putting him more towards confidence in his own abilities rather than, you know, cockiness over his lack of ability. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I think that um, we might be edging 
into a conversation about time and again, but yeah. I, I, I think that um, the one thing I want to say about, about Janeway specifically, at least in these two episodes, is so far the show, I think, is really portraying her as first and foremost a scientist. Yeah. I mean, she is, they, they discover the singularity. She's mm. like, I'm taking the date, I'm going to my yeah. red room, and I'm going to study it, and I'll come back later. Yeah, yeah. Picard never did that. No. You know, he was not the kind of captain that was going to go off and study some some singularity data. I mean, that's what he had data for. Ha ha. You know, that's who he had that's what he had Geordie for. That's what he had an entire crew for. Uh Janeway is a singular a singularly accomplished scientist, yeah. it seems. And that, you know, she comes back and she says, Here's what I found. I don't know what it is. And yeah. it's like and the thing is, in that episode, in that scene, I think that they're really in trouble because I feel like Janeway yeah. is the person best equipped to find the answer. And when she comes back and says <laughs> she can't find it, then they're in trouble. Yeah, no, no, that's true. She, Kate Mulgrew does this really great look with where Janeway is both worried and terrified. And yet you see the wheels turning. That's just absolutely amazing. You know, she is you know, going, she is attacking this problem from as many angles as one can, even as, you know, she again. She is a little more of an action captain than the others had. She she is she already stands out for me. And and in general, I think the women characters stand out a lot more than they ever did in Next Generation. I already have a better idea of who Kess is than Deanna Troy, for example. Yeah. Um. I already have a better idea of who Torres is than uh, Doctor Crusher at this point in the series. And. I think that's important. No, I think it is important. I mean, this I, came off of DS9 where they did have some very good female characters who were well-rounded and all of that. Yeah, and I, I will just say about that, stay tuned. Okay. But um, maybe the last thing to talk about before we move on to Time and Again, which I think will also include a, a mention or, or a conversation about Janeway because that is obviously another very Janeway-heavy episode. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about Cass and the Doctor because yeah. so far the Doc... I mean, well, okay, I'll just ask you this. How are you feeling about the doctor? I because like the doctor. I can see where I can see where I hope they're going to take him. Yeah. I guess that's um he's used largely as the comic relief and there is a weird sadness to him cuz he is so out of the loop, which I think is I think it's interesting that he keeps asking for the computer, you know, for the simulation to be turned off when they leave the room and yet He's upset that nobody's giving him, you know, information or anything. I mean, how did Bashir know what was going on? How did Crusher know what was going on? Well, they were around all the time. They were, they were, they were, they existed 24 hours a day. And so, you know, understood the gossip. We're plugged into that. Uh, Yeah. Bashir's like, uh, hey, Ops, what's going on? Why is the station shaking? Yeah, exactly. Uh, The doctor is turned off. And so doesn't even know that, for example, there were crew members lost or that, or even what's going on. He didn't even know that crew members came on yeah right? i mean because Cass comes into to sick bay and asks him for the soil samples and oh yeah he seems very put out he's like, you know and um, yeah he's both feeling that that work is beneath him and lonely that's that's the only thing anyone seems to need him for right now yeah he's a he's a little bit of a um i think he's a little bit of a character that is that is sort of self-inflicting his own psychological yeah. trauma on himself <laughs> for, for for some things because you're right he is always being asked to to being turned off at the end because he doesn't want to be hanging around yeah which, okay fine but then he does complain about being forgotten he complains about not getting information he complains about not knowing crew members coming in and off this you know off the ship yeah and uh he also i think 
there there are ways in which the characters are interacting with him that I think are coloring the ways in which we're supposed to see him. And uh, you know, Kess is the one who says to him, "Oh, you're very sensitive, aren't you?" Yeah. She's obviously the one who's picking up on some things that are going on with him. And I'd say she is the one who most interacts with him like a person. Janeway does as as well, but she is still Again, this is the woman in the first episode who said, you know, gee, I don't really know my crew that well. And so this might be the relationship she had with the the real doctor. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is an element of, 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 well, maybe not. I don't know. But I think that there is an element to which people forget about him because he is allowing himself to be forgotten. Yeah. And yeah, not to say that it's his fault, but no, it does go either way because it's true. He can't go into her ready room and have a candid conversation with her. She hasn't got in a reason to go into sick bay and she's busy enough that she can't just have a chat. They can't go into whatever their equivalent of 10 forward is. Right. They don't have one. Yeah. That we've seen. Well, they got to eat somewhere, but you know, he's not going to, well, they she, do, they do have a mess um, hall. Or yeah. Something. yeah. I, I mean, but he's not going to sit with her in the mess hall, you know, and she, you know, she will eventually have lunch with all of the members of her senior staff to get to know him, but he can't. And yeah. so, uh, now, you know, they mentioned at one point he's confined to sick bay. I assume as the series goes on, they will figure out ways of getting over that limitation, uh, especially given where TNG took the holodeck episodes with characters like Moriarty. I assume that he will be further developed. But, uh, I mean, even already he has a very strong personality. I like his sarcasm. I like the... Yeah, and I mean, you know, Robert Picardo is a very yeah. good actor as well, which doesn't hurt. He's he is taking most of the comedic, especially. I mean, even the sight gag of him shrinking in uh, the episode is, you know, but it but it works. Yeah, I think that's what I'm really finding is that you know Voyager has a reputation of being sort of um, uh, light on substance, yeah. and we've been talking about this episode for like half an hour. Yeah. So, but again, we we I haven't really talked at all about the plot of the episode, which, as we said, isn't really. It isn't quite interesting, but as a place to hang on, uh, again, I think there is some solid character work going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let's uh, let's wrap this up and let's move on to time and again, which... Well, I just... One, hang on. One scene I wanted to talk about, though, was Neelix and Kess going into the senior meeting, mm-hmm. where they... You know, Neelix is like, well, we're the senior, we're the only representatives of our species, so... I'm the senior to Yeah, Exactly. But again... Janeway is doing all she can to just not, you know, burst into laughter with the light and give him a big teddy bear hug. Like, she loves Neelix. For whatever reason, she is utterly amused by him. And he's going to have a very, you know, I think it's significant that they're not wearing Starfleet uniforms. You know, as the Maquis was assimilated, they they aren't quite. And yet, she does take them both very seriously. Kess mentions about the idea about a garden, and she immediately says, all right, well, that's your job. Right, and, right. You know, even though Neelix is like, well, I can cook vegetables, you know. Well, he's going to earn his keep by cooking vegetables or whatever. His yeah. usefulness is going to diminish as the series goes on. I mean, even in, in Time and Again, he's already past space that he quite knows. So the further they get from where Neelix is from, the the less he's going to know. But it's possible that Neelix is a little bit of a smooth-talking con man. It, but I, I think they know that. But again, for whatever reason, he amuses Janeway. And I, he's harmless, and he's going to help a little bit. Yeah, he's... So- 
in a certain sense, he is a little bit of the quark of this show. Yeah. If quark was not even a bartender and not a businessman. Yeah. Just, just, he's just, you know, he's just kind of there, but uh, again, and already Kess is starting to find herself useful and that will be a good, I guess, thing to talk about in time and again. Um, well, time and again is interesting because it is simultaneously a, a more Star Trekky kind of mm. standard storyline. There's a lot of Prime Directive stuff in yeah. here, and it's a time episode, and there's an away team, and you and, know. and there's a huge metaphor for a social ill. <laughs> but it's not as good as Parallax. No, I, I I wouldn't say it at all. That's, I mean, I did find it. Parallax is a total bottle episode. It's entirely on the uh, ship, and this is entirely a we're going to put everyone in cool seventies looking costumes, and they're going to be on another planet, and and those things. Uh, I mean, I guess part of it for me is like looking at the the way in which Star Trek Voyager started out, and and having Caretaker, which is eh, not the best pilot, and then having Parallax and Time and Again, these two very yeah. sort of like time travely metaphysic heavy shows. Uh, I don't know that that was the best approach and time and again is, you know, I think that time and again is certainly not a bad episode and I think it has some things to say, uh, but it's certainly not as revelatory as I think it thinks it is. Yeah. And it's also simultaneously uh, kind of disappointing in light of parallax because it's not doing as much, um, with the characters. Yeah. I, I find frankly, Tom Paris is a much less interesting character than Belana Torres. And so yeah. to have you – know, I, I could – the show is good at keeping Janeway as the main character and kind of pairing her off with different people. Um, and yeah, pairing her off with a less interesting character who has less to do isn't – doesn't create for as much of a compelling situation. The chemistry in between her and Paris is fine. The chemistry between Janeway and Torres is really good. Yeah. Well, I think that that you know what what you'll find as the show goes on is that this really does become um, uh, the 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 female show or the women's show. Like, yeah, it, it is the kind of thing where the women characters do sparkle so much yeah. more than the male characters ever do. And you know, I don't think that was by design, but that's the way things go. Um, which you know, I'm all for. Uh, but I do think that it's weird that Tom Paris is coming across as a much less interesting character in this episode because he was the point of view character in the pilot. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem to me like they know what they're doing with him. I mean, that's maybe part of it too. Like, all right, we already had a Tom episode. Like, can't she be stuck on here with Tuvok and then we can learn about who Tuvok is? Uh, Can't she be with Chakotay so we can actually have them dealing with, you know, how to work together, how is he going to yeah. deal with taking orders, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, in a certain sense, I think that, you know, and I don't know that this is something they they necessarily were thinking about as they were making mm-hmm. this episode, but what, what I see here is, you know, A, it's interesting that, that Janeway immediately beams down because that is yeah. not standard procedure, as we know from The Next Generation, where Picard almost never left the bridge and Riker was yeah. the one who was always leading away teams. So what does that indicate? Well, it could indicate that Janeway is just a much more hands-on type of character, type of captain yeah. in a Kirk vein. It could also indicate that perhaps she doesn't trust Chakotay hmm. that much yet. Um, and I also think that it may have been constructed that way to allow Janeway to be in the forefront of the action and to allow Chakotay to be in charge of the entire crew. Yeah. And to kind of put to bed a little bit of that McKee stuff and also have him be able to... Um, 
to be able to to conduct the rescue mission and, yeah. and and to really be the one in charge of them. I like that Janeway is a very action captain again. Um especially because as we just said, she's a total geek. She is the scientist. She is the kind of person who, all right, send all the data to my ready room. I'm going to hang out, you know, just looking at my screen for a couple hours. And yet in this episode, when she has the opportunity to hold a gun and go stealth on a bunch of people, she takes it and does a great job. Right. And something to do with the color scheme, I think. It gave it a very 70s, almost like a, I want to say Charlie's Angels kind of action show to it. You're actually dressed a little bit like them right now. I am. I, I, I wore this shirt in a... I don't know why they're all wearing the same clothes, well, but... uh you know... All right. <laughs> That was actually why their planet got destroyed. It wasn't the polaric energy at all. It was the fact that they all wore the same clothes. I really want a confection bar, by the way. Well, so, okay. They say that they have them at the amusement center. (laughs) I think that there are some... There are some troubling aspects yeah. to this episode that that perhaps uh, are maybe not as apparent to you. I mean, I think that for me, there's a, there's a distinct lack of energy in this episode mm. where I don't know what they really thought they were trying to accomplish with this episode. Especially know, because, again, it was the same exact twist that, oh, we caused this from the future, but the effects were seen in the past. Like, I, I was watching that. My boyfriend was like, wasn't that just the same exact episode? Like, yeah, it, it repeated. I'm really worried the fourth is going Only to this be. time they destroyed an entire planet. Yeah. It's like, can't you just give me a monster? Like, give me a good monster episode. I love Star Trek monster episodes. <laughs> as long as they're not a dog. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, for me, what I look at is is... There are some elements to this episode which, again, trouble me because I just think, A, there are too many characters for the show to yeah. do justice to. I mean, you know, they have uh, uh, Neelix in this episode. They've got Kess with a role in it. They've got Tom Paris and Janeway on the planet. They've got yeah. Bolana and, and um, Chakotay and uh, uh, who else? Uh, Harry Kim. Oh, try, I completely forgot them. about Harry Kim. And it's like there's just. Yeah. Too much going on, and they're not able to really construct anything that, that kind of hangs together in, in a satisfactory fashion. You know, I, I don't know. Like, to me, the real meat of the episode is Kess's burgeoning psychic yeah. powers. And, you know, it is the kind of thing where you look at it and say, okay, well, this is exactly what they just did in Parallax. And then also, this is kind of a yesterday's Enterprise sort of mm. thing because you've got Cass in the guiding role in this episode, where she's the yeah. one rushing to the bridge, saying, "Something's not right here. I don't know what it is, and I have no evidence, but I feel like there's a problem." And they just kind of go with it. But I have to say, like, even at the beginnings of her powers, and see, th- these episodes are doing a lot of work into establish certain things, and that. You know, for example, you know, in in Parallax, I mean, I really liked the scene where they're sitting and trying to get off, you know, officer positions and, well, someone needs to be a field medic. That's Utah, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So, yes, Kess is is going to be established as somebody who is dealing with certain uh, psychic type powers, telepathic or whatever. Um, She can apparently sense changes in timelines yeah it's vague and that's fine you know but i i i will say i do feel like already she's done more than troy did in the series for the most part except in face of the enemy 
she's not necessarily I, I mean Troy is the closest character to her again because of the psychicness but um I don't know that I would agree with that but I I, I think that um I don't know Kess to me in this episode feels like they had some sort of idea about what they wanted yeah. to do with her but they weren't quite sure how to get there and, and I guess where I'm left with this is that she has something she doesn't even know really what the boundaries of it are or how to use it yet but that's really all that we need to know for right now. There will be other episodes where she learns to hone it. And I mean, honestly, do we really need another long-term storyline to be revealed in the third episode of the series that we have never heard before? I mean, I don't think so. We already have them trying to get home. Yeah. And we already have the Maquis and the Starfleet stuff. I mean, do we really need this new mystery about Kess having psychic powers? I, 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 to me, it didn't feel crowded. I I don't know. Well, it doesn't feel crowded in the episode, but I think in terms of what the show is is going to I mean, maybe it's colored by the fact that I know where the show goes. Yeah. But like, it just seems to me like they 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 were already sort of floundering, and they weren't really sure what they were doing. Again, given that you're you're right, they don't seem to make it. Given that I thought, for example, the we have to find the second caretaker would be one of the major early arcs at least, and that's something they abandoned. Yeah, it seems like they're trying a couple of stuff, and they're not really doing it. Okay, we got the Maquis confrontation. Well, no, you know, he's the first officer, and uh, Balana's the chief engineer, and so that's two people on the ship already, you know, and that's... That that's integration of the Maquis into the ship. Sure, like, you're right. It does seem like they quickly resolve these things. Yeah, and so for me, you know, what I look at it and I say, okay, well, what is Cass really doing in this episode, and yeah. what is she accomplishing? And I don't know that she's accomplishing much. Well, I mean, none of them accomplish anything in this. I mean, this is an episode that this is a Shaggy Dog story. They undo everything in the end, and they. And the only person who's left with anything is this vague feeling on Kess's part. It is a pointless episode in that way. And I guess that's kind of why. Well, I think that's, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're you're helping me realize what I, I don't like about the episode. Yeah. Is that, you know, I'm not necessarily a critic of the reset button. You know, I, I yeah. whatever, I don't care. I mean, you're talking about episodic television. They are going to button up this, yeah. this story at the end of the episode because they want to be able to strip syndicate this. And that's fine. I, I don't really care. But, uh, you know, we can certainly talk about that as the show goes on. But, you know, I, I find that criticism kind of whatever. Um but I, I do think that in terms of if you're going to have an entire episode of the show that literally did not happen, yeah, uh, you need to reveal something to the audience about who these people mm. are. And to me, I don't, I don't come away at the end of this episode knowing any more about any of these characters than I did at the beginning, other than the fact that Cass is now developing these sort of like ill-defined psychic tele- telepathic whatever powers i don't know where that's going to go i don't know what's going to happen with that but it doesn't tell me anything about her and you know yeah i, I don't know what i'm really supposed to be left with here maybe if we did if parallel let's pretend parallax never existed all right you know that that through, through manipulations in the folds Boy, of space-time. we're space only time, in the third episode of the show, and we're already wishing episodes <laughs> away. I don't know no, if that's no, a good no, sign. No, 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 just, just as a thought experiment. If all we had was the – if we had the pilot and then we had time time and again, and, you know, maybe we have some of the business with uh, we're getting officers and there's weird maquis ma- friction or whatever, it might not feel as bad because, all right, at least – you know, if if – if if we undid a thing we just did, whatever, we did learn something about these characters. But the, you're right. This is all stuff we kind of learned in the previous episode. We knew that, you know, 
Janeway is a more pragmatic captain. We knew that she very much likes science. We knew that Tom Paris has insecurities that he's masking by competent cockiness. I don't know that. I I mean, I kind of agree with you and I don't because I, I, this episode makes no mention of the Maquis. I don't think, uh, doesn't mention anything that we had happening and happening in parallax, which is fine because we just saw parallax. But yeah, I, I think if parallax doesn't exist, this episode comes across even worse. Okay. I don't think it comes across as better. So we have our first bad episode. Uh, well, yeah. No, but but again, I can't say I didn't find it enjoyable. No matter what, I wasn't I enjoyed the episode, even if it was just as simple as I mean, look, I could watch Tom Paris being mean to that kid yeah. or Alex. <laughs> I, I think that's Yeah. Great. They I was expecting Voyager to be a very bad and insulting show. And so far, even if this hasn't been and I can see that it definitely will not hit the heights that DS9 did, or even Next Generation did. Um, I, you know, I don't know though. I, I, I but I'm, I think I think you saying that is more to do with where where you know the show's reputation is, rather yeah. than any intrinsic qualities in the show. And I guess because I'm worried about the ab- show's reputation. I'm. Let's think about what episodes of the show we were at in like the next generation. Yeah. We're talking about like the naked now. Mm-hmm. So even caretaker is better than encounter at Farpoint, frankly. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, it's true. We have, there are better handle on the characters. Everybody, even if they don't entirely know where the characters, I think the actors have a good handle on them. Um, more so than, uh, and again, we didn't really have, anything about dr crusher other than she has a son named wesley and she's a doctor at this point and she's redheaded oh who is she i watched it in black and white <laughs> well i i i think you're right and i i do think that the show has a baseline level of competence that that is is there because they had been doing this for eight years at this point so yeah. the, the show is going to at least be there um I, I just don't know if this episode has enough to recommend it outside of that because well, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think that the it, it's a very sort of, we've seen all of this before. And if we haven't seen this exact permutation of it before, you know, yeah. I don't know. Wh- like, I don't know if the plot of this episode, the twist at the end of this episode is enough to justify having no information given to us about the characters. Other than apparently Tom Paris really wants to get his dick wet, which okay, Can, yeah. that that's a fine character motivation for him. I don't necessarily want that to be something that I see happening a lot. I don't <laughs> necessarily want that to be his raison d'être. Um, but, I mean, you could. He is maybe trying to be a younger Riker. You know, Riker was a total player, but I liked Riker's playerness the way that they. Uh, characterize that the way that i i i and the fact that it was only one aspect of you know that was just how he relaxed you know Riker's a handsome guy and he likes the company of you know beautiful intelligent women and so why not uh tom paris doesn't have he isn't i mean tom paris just strikes me the kind of guy that would just fuck you like a jackrabbit and that's just never good that's never good i i think they're i'm not sure if this show yet realizes how young and callow he kind of is yet and maybe they think he's a bit more of the Riker type but they are 
realizing, no, he has a few pegs to be knocked down before he actually becomes a good character. Well, and I think, you know, okay, I'm I'm going against my own criticism of the episode a little bit, because maybe that's part of what the episode was trying to do by having him and Janeway on the planet, you know, and they're they're going through this very sort of emotionally packed thing where they think they're both going to die and they have to kind of get out of this. And, you know, it is a little bit of a growing situation where Tom Paris is is callow, as you said, and is very, very green. Yeah. Is not used to this sort of thing. I mean, Janeway might think that time travel is old hat, but I don't think Tom Paris has ever time traveled before. And so... And he has a certain cynicism about himself that Riker never has. Again, he is... Riker, from all all intents and purposes, did well for his entire life. Um, Tom Paris fucked up two of the big first things that he dealt with. Yeah, and he had, that puts him in a very different position in life. But he does, you know. I don't know if I would consider him an asset on the mission, but I, I think he does an okay job with it. You know, certainly, I think Janeway is. I mean, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to talk about Janeway because, yeah. um, you know, Tom Paris is only about as interesting as he is, uh, <laughs> at least in this episode. You know, Janeway to me is again. She's the one who beams down to the planet. She's the yeah. one who gets caught up and goes back in time. You know, she is very, very insistent that. They cannot violate the prime directive. Yeah, but the, then she immediately picks up on the fact that they they were the yeah. ones that caused it to happen, and it said blah blah blah. You can see her mind at work in these two episodes, yeah. which I do appreciate quite a bit. She is somebody who likes rules, and again, the prime directive is very important to her. I don't think we ever heard it mentioned once in uh, DS Nine, or if it was, Cisco didn't really quite care about it as much. Frankly. Cisco wasn't dealing with as many uh, pre-warp civilizations, so the Prime Directive doesn't really factor into his day-to-day life when it comes to Cardassia and Bajor. Uh, And, you know, it is going to be more of an issue here, but will it because they're in a – you know, these issues are going to come up in different ways that, again, DS9 wouldn't have. But at the same time, anytime, you know – Anytime Kirk broke the Prime Directive, it was because he realized that, you know, he was able to either loophole it, oh, this civilization is stagnant and therefore it, you know, doesn't really have a natural order that we can disrupt or something like that, or I'm daddy in America and so if I say it's okay to break the Prime Directive, that's okay. Picard, every time he broke the Prime Directive, he angsted about it, and he was very worried about it, and he was not sure if that was the right thing to do, and, you know, when he ultimately did, it was... Janeway, I think, sees it as, all right, the Prime Directive is a very important principle, but if it's hindering more than it's helping, yeah, we can break it. Let's do this. Mm. I don't know. I think I fundamentally disagree with you. Which part? All of it. Okay. I don't think Kirk ever agonized over breaking the Prime Directive, really. You mean Picard? Well, you said, oh, oh, I thought you said Kirk. No, 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 no. I was going to say, I was like, wait a second. No, Kirk broke it. You know, he would think and he would decide, all right, you know, for example, Eden is, uh, the Apple is a very good example of that when he decides, no, the Prime Directive needs to be broken. I can make this decision. Picard, no, Picard did take a lot more care when it was time to. Yeah, okay, good. I got you there. I, I don't, I don't know that. I would characterize Janeway's actions in this episode as breaking the prime directive though, Mm. because while her, while her logic for telling them who they really are is perhaps not the soundest. Mm. I, I do think that her line of reasoning that got her to the place where she realized that their very presence on the planet was the precipitating cause for its destruction. 
uh, was coming from a, 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 a real place, a well-founded place. Yeah. It certainly was true. And, you know, whether or not the actual, um, you know, she thought that their, their send, being sent back in time caused those terrorists to, to move up their yeah. timetable. As it turns out, that was not true. It was their rescue attempt that caused it to happen. You know, I, I do think that there is an element of which, you know, you, you have to destroy the prime directive to save the prime directive. And, and, hmm. You know, yeah. there there could be an, I you know I'm not arguing that this is the most well written or well thought out episode. I think that her suddenly blurting out that they're actually intergalactic travelers yeah. from the you know intergalactic federation um, was maybe more to do with the fact that they wanted some sort of shocking line to end that act on than anything else. <laughs> but I don't know that she's really breaking the prime directive. Fair enough. So bending it, you know, pushing up against the edges, somebody, you know, the lady from barrel trial would have something to say about it, but Janeway feels she is very justified in it. It's true. Yeah. But I, I also think that, you know, if you look at the way in which Janeway has been portrayed so far, again, she's really portrayed as a scientist. Mm. She's, she's portrayed as someone who's really invested in the, the scientific method and, and, and an investigation and, and figuring things out and coming to some sort of conclusions. And at least in, these episodes so far as we've seen her that to me indicates that she is going to be someone who uh is not just using the prime directive i mean this has come up already in two episodes it only didn't come up in parallax most likely because it was only them yeah that that i think for for janeway it seems to me that she is willing to follow the prime directive because she does believe it's right but also because she doesn't have all of the available evidence to yeah. know whether or not breaking it would be the right thing to do or not. And she is first and foremost, someone who wants to collect all the evidence and come to some sort of conclusion. And it is true that she doesn't immediately open with, hi, my name is captain Janeway of the, you know, that's kind of her plan D in a way. So she, you know, she's realized that, all right, easier things, you know, more obvious methods of persuasion trying to are not working. So, while it's not quite a desperation move, it's coming close. You know, the, the, the odds that they would be like, oh, you're time travelers. Okay, that makes sense, you know, are pretty slim, but it's almost a, well, you know, I, I can't say it won't work for sure. Right. And, and I, <laughs> at the very least, they may not, they may at least think, okay, we're crazy. We're not really government agents, you know. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know? no, that's. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I think maybe the last thing to talk about, you know, because, again, I mean, the actual um, mechanics of the plot are not what, what's really important here. And I also think that, that the rescue attempt is not exactly what's what's most important. I mean, yeah. most, in, a, in a certain sense, I think that the episode is, is, is trying to do something very particular by focusing on Janeway and Tom Paris. Yeah. And if we don't learn as much about them as, as perhaps the episode thinks we do, okay, that's fine. You know, I don't think we certainly learn much about the rest of the characters. But... Although Harry Kim has a girlfriend, so that's Aww. exciting. And he doesn't want to ever have sex again because he Aww. thinks she's going to wait for him. Oh, 75 years. She'll be like, you know, 100 years old. And he'll be like, darling. Harry Kim is a very interesting person. Um, go ahead. Whoa, this is making me notice that how little Janeway is talking about herself. I mean, she is very much yeah. in the person. You know, in some ways, she could fall into the 
as a woman, her role is to, you know, nurture and bring out characteristics and others. But in other ways, I think she is more being the captain. You know, when she's talking to Belana Torres, she's bringing out, you know, she she's trying to smooth down certain bits of, you know, her her edges and get her to be an actual, you know, chief engineer, somebody who's again discipline and leadership matches her intellectual abilities. With Tom Paris, she's trying to turn his cockiness into confidence. Even with somebody like Tuvok, who uh Tuvok I think has the op has the he has the potential to be one of those robot Vulcans who is just thinking about logic. Uh, the scene in the pilot when uh, they're talking about, oh, you know, you miss your family and stuff like that. She is allowing him to have that emotional side to himself. You know, he's not going to be a passionate, uh, you know, he's not going to cry, but he is going to take the emotions as a valid point of data to add to the entire pile. Yeah, um, yeah. And, because I think that that conversation in particular was a fine moment for her to say, you know, I know you miss your family. I miss my husband or boyfriend or whatever his name is. And she doesn't. She's really not told any – nobody else seems to know that she has a family or a, or a dog or whatever. <laughs> is it her husband or her boyfriend or who is it supposed to be? I you know? think it's her boyfriend. Okay. It's, it, was, it wasn't really important. Well, they don't live me. together. So okay. I'm a, well, hey, you know. Yeah, I mean, she, it could they just could be very modern and not live together. And be I mean, married. she is a Starfleet captain. She's not going to be home very often. Well, he anyway. did say, I went to your house to get the dogs. So it, that mm-hmm. indica- indicates to me that they do not live together. Um, Either so way, she, she has. A, well, how does she have dogs? I don't know. Anyway, uh, she, you know, she has loved ones is the point, And she but she hasn't talked about those. She has. You know what? Yeah. Oh, wait a second. This is bothering me now. Okay. Why does Janeway have dogs? That makes no sense. She's a Starfleet captain. Well, maybe she puts them in state when she's not around and they can be puppies forever oh <laughs> okay i'll go with that they could be hollow dogs <laughs> well i i the, the last thing i want to mention um, before we wrap this episode up is um uh are you um at all creeped out by neelix because <laughs> i i I think he's fine. I but, like him. Well, yes, but but I think that his interactions with Cass are a little paternalistic, and uh, I don't know. I don't feel great about him and Cass together, and I don't know that the show so far is really selling them as some sort of well I, romance item. You have to. I, I I do have to take into account that Cass is what two years old right now. I think she's supposed to be younger than that. <laughs> yeah, like she, she. But to be clear, yes, that's her species is basically a golden retriever. So no, it's it, you know she is physically and intellectually an adult at this point. You know, even if it takes six Earth months in order for her people to get to that stage of development, you know, and nine years is what would be seventy-five years to a human. You know, sure. Uh, I am watching this space in a way because especially with her burgeoning psychic powers with the fact that in the first episode she's the one who's now in charge of the hydroponics suite and she's going to be planting this garden and, you know, getting food for the crew. And he's making some vague stuff about, well, I could cook, you know, the fact that he doesn't know where they are anymore. The fact that it it is true that he's starting to be very useless already and she is – slowly becoming more useful. And I think that is 
in a way, if he is being paternalistic, that might partially be a reaction to that. And again, I, I'm I'm watching this space to see where they go. But yeah, okay. they they I I don't buy them as a very great couple. I mean, they the implication is that they'd met maybe a couple of times, you know, even I mean, she she was a slave for the uh what whatever they were called in the first episode. Kazon? Yeah, yeah, she was a prisoner of the Kazon. So it wasn't like she and he had spent a very long time together and got to know each other very well, you know. They, yeah, yeah. They, they again, they met once or twice. They, you know, fell in love at first sight, okay, and then he's rescued her and that's, you know, they've known each other 2 weeks really at this point. Okay. I'll buy that. That's fair. And I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just watched, Parallax or Time and Again, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trackaboutshow. If you give us $5 a month or more, you will get a special patrons-only episode once a month that we record just for people that give us $5 a month or more. The one that we released in March was on... For the Love of Spock, the documentary that Adam Nimoy made about his father, Leonard Nimoy. Don't you mean the Spockumentary he made? We are now done with the podcast, and I will never speak to Richard again. <laughs> we are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Trek About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Next week. We're going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes, Phage and The Cloud. Wait, what is the first one called? Phage. That's really offensive.